Father, thank you for your word as it reveals to us information that we can't understand by looking at the surface of this world. We ask, Father, as we study your word, you would guide us and protect us, teach us from your word as we take a look at hell and understanding what you've prepared in the lake of fire and in Hades. Help us to be able to sort out the concepts and to follow through with the timing and timeline that we'll be looking at tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to hell location for sinners. We're going to be focusing on the next few weeks this topic of hell. And I'm going to clarify right away. Hell is used as a derogatory term. It's used as a slang term. It's used essentially as a curse word. That's not how we're utilizing it here. We will be discussing the actual place that God has prepared for unbelievers. And we'll also be clearing up some misunderstandings about what hell really is. But it does indeed exist, and we'll look at that this evening as we begin to pursue hell. Now, the word hell is typically, when it's not used slangly, when it's used to talk about the place in eternity where people are stored forever um, in the lake of fire, it's not really a, a used accurately, because hell in the Bible is not the description of the final place where unbelievers and Satan company are judged in a lake of fire forever. That's the lake of fire. That's not the same thing as hell in the Bible. Hell and the lake of fire are different. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, as we introduce this series. That the lake of fire is not hell. Hell is not the lake of fire. They're two different places, two different locations. They each have their own purpose. And so hell is a different place than that final judgment for unbelievers and Satan and company that we look at. So in tonight's lesson, we're going to see five things. Number one, there is indeed a hell. Number two... We're going to see that hell is not the same as the lake of fire. You guys can open that window up if you want, and that one too. Okay. So this is just a reminder of our subject matter then, apparently. It's a hot place. Um, number three, the lake of fire was prepared originally for Satan and company. Now notice the term I'm using. We're going to, that one too, we're going to distinguish between the lake of fire and hell, and we're going to start doing that right now. Hell is not the lake of fire. Hopefully you've got that through at this point. But the lake of fire was originally created for Satan and company. When Lucifer fell and took a third of the angels with him, God prepared the lake of fire as a place of judgment for their rebellion. This is before Adam and Eve sinned. It's before man was created. And so the lake of fire was originally prepared for Satan and company. Number four, hell being different than the lake of fire is a storage place for all those who are condemned to the lake of fire. So there's like a holding place, which is where you go if you're an unbeliever or Satan and fallen angels during different time periods of history, where you go there until you are placed into the lake of fire. Essentially, it's a holding cell. And there's some other information we're going to see about hell and the lake of fire as we continue through this series. The last thing we're going to see tonight is that unbelievers will go to the lake of fire for eternity. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you have not depended upon His work on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, then you will be in the lake of fire for eternity. You have until your last breath to place your faith in Jesus Christ to have paid the penalty for your sins. That is the only thing that saves you from hell. It's the only thing that establishes you as saved for eternity. If you want to know more about that or need more clarification, we can talk about that later. We went through that with Faith in the Faithful series. A few weeks back also, you can listen to the first 
lesson in that one if you go to our website or you can go to the app and find it through that. So we're going to look at these five things tonight in our lesson. And we may not get through to all of these tonight, but we'll continue on as we do. Now, interestingly enough, many Christians today do not believe in a lake of fire, which they would call hell. Some have come to the understanding and to the false belief that God is so loving he would never judge people in eternity in a lake of fire. The problem with this is God's word says clearly there is a lake of fire and that those who reject Christ do not have the necessary payment for their sins to keep them out of that lake of fire for eternity. We look at God's character, and yes, he is love, but he's also righteous. And his righteousness demands that justice is paid when a violation occurs between two individuals, namely him and humans. And so if you have sinned, which we all have, and you have not trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, then God is righteously judging you to restore and pay for the sin that you accomplished. So the problem with this concept that many Christians have today is people don't like the idea that God is a God of judge and righteousness. That he judges people for sin. They like to think of God as just this loving, fluffy guy upstairs who is welcoming of all and would never do anything that would harm someone. Now, God is not trying to harm people. God has to have righteousness in place in order for him to be righteous. And he has made, in his grace, a way for all individuals who ever breathe to have eternal life with him. And whether you choose to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior or not will determine where you spend eternity. He gave you the opportunity to choose. He gave you everything you need to trust. It's a matter of whether you will choose to depend upon Christ or not. And if you choose not to, then you are rejecting the way that he has provided for you to be with him for eternity and saved from hell. And in that, he is just to condemn you for your willful choice to reject him. Now let's take a look at Matthew 25, 31 to 46. We're going to be starting this series in a passage of scripture where Jesus illustrates a specific judgment that occurs after what's known as the tribulation, before Jesus enters in the millennial reign and reigns on earth for a thousand years. And there's a lot of new terminology, a lot of different things that you guys probably don't have in your thought process yet, or things you can bring out yet. We're going to bring those to you, give you a little bit of framework to understand them. But we're going to start in Matthew 25, 31 to 33, and it says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. In, this, in these three verses, we get a story about what Jesus will do. The story takes place in the future. It hasn't happened yet. Jesus is telling us what he will do to believers, the sheep, and to goats, the unbelievers. But he's talking about a specific time period. The time period that will follow when the rapture occurs and you and I as church-age believers, those who have trusted Christ in this time period, he will take us to heaven and that will start seven years of tribulation. And so what we're looking at in, let's see if I've got room on this, I thought so. Okay, 
So the question we've got is, when does this take place in history? When Jesus says, or when Jesus tells us in Matthew that he, the king, will return in the future to separate the sheep from the goats, we're asking the question, when does this take place in history? And so we'll create a little timeline here. Apparently I need a new black marker. And on this timeline, we're going to add a cross. It's going to be blue, blue symbolic in scripture of righteousness. So Christ in his righteousness died on the cross. If you trust Jesus Christ to have paid the penalty for your sins, you get his righteousness. He takes your sin. It's a transfer that you and he make. Now, what we're talking about in our timeline in this story is a time period that is consisting of seven years. It's known as the tribulation. These are seven literal years, not seven random amounts of time that we call years. Seven actual years. Following the seven years, there's going to be 1,000 years, what we call the millennial reign. At the end of those 1,000 years, there will be a judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment, because it has, get this, a Great White Throne And this is what's coming in the future. Now, what happens that starts off the rapture or the tribulation is this thing called the rapture. You, in this time period on earth, after Christ has died and after the Holy Spirit was given to believers, indwelling them, are in what's called the church age, a time period where God uses believers, whether Jew or Gentile, to spread the gospel and to do his work on earth. You are his steward. And as you function in this church age, this time period will last until this moment we call the rapture. It's when Jesus comes back and takes with him all those who are presently alive, all those who have died before that are believers, and they go up to heaven with him. So at the rapture, the church age stops. It's over. The church itself goes up to heaven, With Jesus, there's a number of things that go on there. We're not going to focus on them now because our focus is just trying to establish that when this story is going to take place in the future. And after the seven years of judgment on the earth, the church, the bride of Christ, will return with Jesus. And it's at this point in time, when the seven years of tribulation are over, and it transitions into Jesus reigning for a thousand years, that the judgment of separating the sheep from the goats takes place. Now, do we know who the sheep and the goats are yet? Well, if you're paying attention, I mentioned that the sheep are believers and the goats are unbelievers. But they're believers and unbelievers from a specific time. What happens when the rapture occurs is that you only have, at that point on earth, unbelievers left. In this point in time here, there are only unbelievers on earth. Not a single Christian who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Right at the beginning of those seven years. Some will recognize, because they've heard of the rapture, immediately what's gone on, and at that point choose to accept Christ as their Savior. And they will become 
what we call tribulational saints. Believers in the tribulation. So you've got unbelievers throughout the tribulation, and you have tribulational saints, those who accept Christ during the judgment on earth. Now, we said God is a God of love, but he's also a God of righteousness. And if there's something that is not made clear to us yet in our study of scripture, God is very slow to wrath. Before Israel entered the promised land and began what was called the age of the law, time period in which God used Israel as his main servants, we'll call them. Before they entered the promised land, there was 400 years between the promise and them going out of slavery from Egypt in the promised land. Do you guys remember why that was? If you look at Genesis, God says that he will, in 400 years, when the iniquity of the land is complete, bring the Israelites into the land of Canaan, the promised land. So the 400 years was designed to allow 10 generations of opportunity for those in the promised land to worship God. But in those 400 years, God's wrath was built up. 400 years. How long does it take you to get angry? Four seconds. We'll take it. Depends on the day. Depends on the, the situation, right? God, 400 years, and his, his wrath is not the same as our anger. It's not a flashbang that goes off and just violently erupts. I don't want to make it seem peaceful, though, because it is judgment that is righteously poured out for the sins that have been ignored. And so for at least 400 years, we see God's wrath, but we see all throughout the course of history, and there's a lot more ages in front of the age of the law and the church age, we see all throughout the course of history that God gives more time and more time and more opportunity and more opportunity and in grace provides all that's necessary for generation after generation after generation after generation to see that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior. And these seven years are no different. During those seven years of tribulation, Jesus and the church up in heaven w- preparing to come back and reign for a thousand years, God is still giving the gospel message to those on earth. He has witnesses He has Jewish believers that through understanding the gospel message become believers during this time frame and they become the sheep. The unbelievers in tribulation are the goat. And so when Jesus returns with the church at this point and begins to transition from the seven years of tribulation into the thousand years of millennial reign, he separates out the sheep from the goats. He separates out the believers in the tribulation from the unbelievers during the tribulation. So the moment in time that we're talking about isn't right now. And it's important that we understand that because otherwise we will misapply this passage to our life. If you have accepted Christ right now and you are saved right now, you will not be a sheep nor can you be a goat. You are a church-age believer. You are secure in Christ and when he comes back, if you're alive, you will go up without even dying. You'll go right up with him. And he will take you with him. So the judgment we're talking about is the sheep and goat judgment. Jesus says the king will come back and the goats he will do something with and the sheep he will do something with. So that's the answer to our question of when does this take place? It takes place after the tribulation as Jesus transitions to authority for the millennial reign. It's important that we understand so we do not misapply this and then create confusion in our own walk with God on this in this time frame on earth. 
All right, I want to ask and give you a chance to ask some questions if you have some here. Anything needs clarification? There's a lot there for you. It's not meant or made for you to know it all completely right now. It's to give you an idea of when this time frame in Matthew 25 and this judgment is occurring. It's this little blue dot that transitions from the end of the tribulation into the beginning of the millennial reign. The last thing I want to point out before we move on to the next portion of our study on hell and the location for sinners is that at the beginning of the millennial reign, you will only have believers. You'll have Jesus and the church reigning and ruling. Jesus reigning and ruling as the sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. The church reigning under his authority in the area that he has given them to function in. And you'll have the, the sheep that continue on in the millennial reign. Well, what then happened to the goats? Well, let's take a look at the next passage, verses 34 through 36. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Why are they blessed of his father? Because they have accepted him to be their savior. These are believers. He says, Come, believers, those of you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. What kingdom is he talking about? Well, it's called the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom that exists in those thousand years. So he says to them, come on in to the millennial reign, my kingdom, forever. And he brings the sheep into his kingdom out of the tribulation. Next thing he says, for I was hungry and you gave me, gave me, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the sheep, those on the right, the righteous, will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40, Jesus answers, he says, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, notice the phrase, even the least of them you did it to me. Who is Jesus saying that they assisted during the tribulation? Brothers in Christ. During the tribulation, there will be immense persecution on earth. There will be judgments pouring down from heaven, but there will also be the Antichrist, the beast, and Satan working, pulling the strings, and then coming out himself to take care of establishing his kingdom on earth. He's, that's his time frame. That's his final push, on earth at least, to establish his kingdom. And so if you are a believer, you will be persecuted during that time frame. But what believers are we talking about here? Those who have accepted Christ during the tribulation. We're not in the tribulation. We're before it. You won't be there. That should be comforting. Those who accept Christ during the tribulation, those, the sheep, the saints of the tribulation, they will be greatly persecuted. They will have to pr protect each other and provide for each other, and they will serve each other by providing what is necessary to one another. This is not the basis, though, for their entrance into the kingdom of heaven. What is their basis for that entrance? Faith in Christ. Go back to verse 34. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father. Who is blessed of the father? But those who accept Jesus Christ to be their savior. 
inherit the kingdom prepared for the foundation of the world. And now he gives a characteristic trait about them, not the cause of them going into the kingdom. He says that they're characterized by their actions of serving one another, serving other brothers in Christ during that tribulation. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So the sheep took care of each other as they served the Lord during the tribulation. And so, again, it's important to understand this concept so you don't misapply this to our life right now. Yes, we should serve others. We should do it out of a relationship with God. But serving others in this age, in previous ages, or in the future does not get you into heaven. That's called a human good self-righteousness, and it cannot pay the penalty for your sins. The only way to get into heaven is to depend upon Jesus Christ and trust what he did and let what he did on the cross be enough to pay the penalty for your sins. It is enough, and we will see next week what happens to the goats as we continue on looking into this concept of hell. Now, we brought in this passage for the specific reason that it's going to talk about with the goats two different locations, the lake of fire and this place we call Hades or hell. And so we'll get to that next week as we continue on in this series. Let's pray, and we'll get out of here for the night. Father, thank you that you have saved us not by anything we could have done, but by the work that Christ already did, that is done once and for all, that his work is able to pay the penalty for every single sinner, should every single sinner choose to depend upon you. We're grateful, Father, that you do not separate us out by our actions, but based upon whether we have depended upon your son to pay the penalty for our sins or not. If there's anyone in this room amongst us who has not yet understood that concept and trusted Jesus to be their Savior, give them what they need. Soften their hearts and their ears that they will hear and accept and receive. And trust what your word says instead of looking to their own ideas or to what this world teaches regarding this concept. We're grateful that you have provided all things for us, pertaining to life and godliness and for the word that you've revealed to us in the pages of your Bible to give us an understanding of what things are and how to walk. In Jesus' name, amen.